بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم رحمد ہُسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنائب از دا فورتھ آف جون ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu. And I'm suddenly going through the subsection in which we're taking a glimpse into his extraordinary taqwa and humility. So let alone refraining from sinning, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu, he would even avoid the places where the angels of mercy والسلام, would not enter. In Sayyih Bukhari, volume 2, page 778, it mentions, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he once saw a picture in a dwelling, and he immediately returned from there. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud once saw a picture in a dwelling, and he immediately returned from there. So he wouldn't even enter a dwelling where there was a picture. Why? Because in a direct report, in Nasai, number 5,353, in the chapter on the adornment from the Sunnah, Sahih, Ibn Imajah, number 3,359, Bukhari, in his Sahih, number 5,958, and Muslim, in his Sahih, number 2,106, relate similar. Sayyidina Ali, radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa إِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ لَا تَدْخُلُ بَيْتًا فِيهِ تَصَاوِيهِ Verily the angels, alayhi salatu wa salam, do not enter the dwelling in which there are images. إِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ لَا تَدْخُلُ بَيْتًا فِيهِ تَصَاوِيهِ Verily the angels, alayhi salatu wa salam, do not enter the dwelling in which there are images. So this is a sahih hadith. So which angels? The angels of mercy. Indeed, it is related that Sayyidah Fatima radiyallahu once had decorated a curtain on her door which prevented her illustrious father sallallahu alayhi wa from entering and upon which he said, it is not fitting for me sallallahu alayhi wa to enter a dwelling which is decorated. This is recorded by Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullahi in his Sahih Sunan Ibn Imajah number 3360 and he related it Hassan Behaki in his Sunan Al-Qubra 7-267 related similar. So even the leader of the women of paradise Sayyidah Fatima radiyallahu all she did was she decorated a curtain on her door and Rasulullah did not enter sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because it does not befit me to enter a dwelling which is decorated. So Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud Who was he going to follow? Rasulullah. So he immediately returned from a dwelling which had a picture within it. This failing sadly has now become an epidemic in the Muslim world. To Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our complaint. When people say there's no blessings, you know, the response is, well, where do you want to stop with that? One response, there's no blessings. The angels of mercy are not in your dwellings. There's images. If the angels don't enter the place, what's going to enter? Shayateen. So what do you expect? Why the food doesn't last the entire week? The drink goes very quickly. 
people are falling ill left, right, and center. And the response is, one of the reasons is, there's images in your dwelling. So now, can we even think of living without images in the dwelling? It's one of those things that it's like become part of the DNA. It's like, how do you live without a picture in your dwelling? And the response is, it doesn't matter what you think. It's what's mentioned in the revelation. But Ibn Mas'ud, no chance. He was never going to enter a dwelling. And also there's another report on the same team where one of the companions, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, he was invited to a wedding. And it was the marriage of Abdullah ibn Umar son, I believe. And he gets there and he sees, you know, decorations. And he was so upset. He said, I did not believe that even you would fall into this. Or Ibn Umar. And he left. He goes, of all people, I thought you would be firm. And Ibn Umar was saying this is to do with the marriage. So the companions wouldn't enter dwellings. So now imagine when Christ returns. You know, we got this fantasy idea that he's going to be coming to us and we're going to be inviting him to... He's not going to go near your dwelling. Nothing personal. You know what? I'm not going to enter this. So where is he going to enter? Where is he going to go? Alayhi salatu wasalam. So be a rude awakening. It is related. This is an Imam Ahmad in his Muslim. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud He once went to visit Abu Umar radiyallahu but he was not home at the time. So the great Ibn Masood is visiting another Sahab, but the other Sahab is not home. He just greeted his wife and he asked for some water to drink. So he enters and he, he asked for some water from the wife. There was no water in the dwelling. So the wife sent their maid servant to fetch some from the neighbor. But the maid servant took a long time into return. So Ibn Umar is in the dwelling, uh, sorry, Ibn Mas'ud, and the water, the maid servant of the dwelling has gone to the neighbor, and she's delayed. Abu Umar's wife thus became angry and began to curse the maid servant. As soon as Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud heard this, he immediately stood up quickly and he left. The next day, Sayyidina Abu Umar met him and said, Did you not come to my dwelling and enter? Then you left. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud replied, The servant of yours took long to return and your wife began to curse her. And since I've heard Rasulullah say, If the person being cursed is not deserving of it, it returns upon the sender. Hence, I thought to myself, if the servant is not deserving of the curse, I will be included when the curse returns. So I left. So now let's look at this. So again, like I'm saying, it's going really over our heads because this is another level of piety. Why did he quickly leave the dwelling? Because the wife of the companion cursed the maidservant. And he was thinking, if she doesn't deserve it, it's going to go back on the wife and I'm going to be sitting here. It's going to strike me. So he left. Compare this with the majority of ignorant masses who blissfully continue to keep the company of those who are prone to curse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves. I mean, another disaster. How many people do you know they curse? Why are you mixing with them? So a person goes, I don't understand. What, 
what's that gonna do with me? Because if he's cursing and if it's not deserving of the person he's cursed, it's going back to him and you're rubbing shoulders with him. So Lord Ibn Masood, what do you notice about him? He's protecting his Iman. And his Iman was like a mountain. Are we protecting our Iman? Another amazing trait of this majestic man was that he would rarely relate anything back to our beloved messenger. Amr ibn Maymun, rahmatullahi, he said, I used to visit Sayyidina ibn Mas'ud every Thursday evening. And I never heard him say, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In another report he said, sometimes an entire year would pass without Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu relating a single hadith. So stop in the report. So look what's interesting. Some of the tabi'een work with him all the time. This once. Amr ibn Maymun rahmatullahi said, every Thursday evening I would visit him. So note, there's levels amongst them. And he said, never heard him say once, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, however, uncharacteristically, one night, he uttered the words, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Immediately, he lowered his head. I then looked at him. And he was standing, opening the knot of his lower cloak as if he was choking. His eyes also welled up with tears and his jugular veins had swollen. He then quickly said, perhaps Rasulullah said something less or more than it or something near to it. So let's look at this. So it's recorded in Ibn Majah number 23, Ahmad in his Musnad number 4321, Sahih. Argument is Mustadrak, volume 3, page 313, Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 784 of the New English Translation. So imagine, what is he discussing with his students? Obviously he's sharing the knowledge, but he had this sublime trait, he wouldn't say the Prophet said, so you just get the message across. But then Amr ibn Maymun says, uncharacteristically one night he suddenly said it and what did he say Rasulullah said now look at the description now what's happened he hasn't even completed the hadith he goes he lowers his head meaning he's lost in thoughts and then he goes he stood up and he started to open the knot of his lower cloak as if he you know he was finding it hard to breathe he goes his eyes filled with tears and his jugular veins started to swell. And after all of that, he quickly said to the nearest meaning, he said something like this. Perhaps I added a word, perhaps it's a word less. This is a Sahih Hadith in Ibn Majah. Another one of his students, Masuluk, he said, Sayyidina Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud once started to narrate a Hadith one day. But as soon as he said, Qala Rasulullah he immediately started to shiver so violently that even his cloak shook. He added quickly, Rasulullah said something to the effect or something similar. This is an Ahmad in his Musnad, number 4015, Sahih. Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar in his Jami Bayan al-Ilm, volume 1, page 79. 
Al-Isaba, volume 3, page 156. Hayat al volume 4, page 785 of the New English Translation. Another incident. So he's, again, very uncharacteristically, he said, Rasulullah said. Now he's reacted differently. He starts to shake. So when a person starts shaking, he's either very ill or he's frightened to death. Now, was he frightened to death of anything? No. But he was frightened to death of making a mistake from Rasulullah because his cloak started shaking. And then he started saying something to the nearest meaning, something similar. This is another Sayyid Hadith in Ahmad. In another report, Masrook said, Rahmatullah, Sayyidina Abdullah would inform us of something from Rasulullah. Then he would pause, his color would change. He would thereupon say, Like this or something close to this. This is in Ahmad in his Musnad, number 3607, 4333, Sayyid, chain of transmission. So Masrug also said that his condition, his complexion would change. And he would say, Like this, or something close, to this. Meaning, I'm not quoting him word for word. So now, what do we take from these reports? Do we just say, Subhanallah? Compare the blessed companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, caution with regards to the flippant narrating of the blessed ahadith with the majority of Muslims in today's day and age who do not even bother to give a reference, let alone the strength of the report. Now think about that. Chalk and cheese. You've got somebody who, who spent the full 23 years literally his servant and he's scared to death of narrating from the Prophet but he passed the message on and every now and again when he would say I heard the Prophet look how he reacted as if to say I shouldn't have done this why am I mentioning the Prophet we who come 1400 or so years later forget about whether the hadith is authentic where is this hadith brother and the reason I'm not a scholar, what are you asking me for? Mm-hmm. And the response is, there you go, brother, choke and cheese. The one who didn't need to give reference because he was the reference, he did not even quote in the Prophet. And the one who has to give a reference is not given a reference. And the reason I'm not a scholar, then why are you quoting hadiths? So ideally, you give the strength. You give the strength of the report. You said, look, this is a Sahih hadith. The scholars have mentioned it. Then the person finds comfort with that. He goes, I can trust this report because the scholarship have gone through it. But when you get a report and somebody just gives you a reference, you still get comfort, but what's still wrangling at the back of your mind? Is it authentic? So, but you do get some comfort because he's giving you a reference. If you just go in Qala Rasulullah, Qala Rasulullah, left, right and center, the guy's going to think it's not worth anything. There's no veneration for the words of the Prophet The other lesson we can take from this is what subliminal message was Ibn Masood giving to his students. He was telling them, this is veneration. What did I mention yesterday? Did I mention it in the... Right? So, the Quran in Surah Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who honor the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested their hearts for taqwa, are not the words of Rasulullah Signs of Allah. Mm-hmm. 
So where's the veneration for it? Qala Rasulullah, Qala Rasulullah. So is this a person of taqwa? No. But if you get a person and he's always giving you a reference after a reference, he's showing veneration. That's a person of taqwa. You know, bother what people think. Well, brother, we trust you. Well, you might trust me, but I need to give you the reference. Mm. Nevertheless. Mm. So note again, and look how beautiful, even though 1,400 years have passed, it's like we can go back and sit with Rasulullah. And yet the kuffar, they can't even go back 100 years without arguing when the incident took place. And this is a sign of Nabut. Subhanallah, as an added precaution, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud also penned down the ahadith. Hafiz ibn Abdul Barr in his Jami Bayan al Ilm, volume 1, page 17, it mentions once Abdul Rahman ibn Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, his son, he took out a book of a hadith and he swore this was written by his illustrious father. <laughs> so now think about that. Why has he written down the hadith? <laughs> Precaution. <laughs> He had his own copy of the Quran. Why did he need his own copy of the Quran? He was a master of the Quran. Precaution. Why has he got his own copy of Hadith? Precaution. Question people ask, where is this compilation? This should be a Musnad of Ibn Masood. Many of the other blessed companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, also followed suit, such as Abu Huraira, Anas, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, etc., etc., radiyallahu ta'ala anhum. Now, why is it so important to highlight this? Because you get fruitcakes again, ignoramuses. And they say the Muslims did not value the hadith of the Prophet. The proof of that is that they only compiled it 200 <coughs> years after him. So, Bali Bali Musabban, look at that. They go, well, that, that seems clear. If it was important, they would have compiled it straight away. They've lied or they're ignorant. The companions wrote down the hadith of Rasulullah. They had their own compilations. Then they're going to ask, where are they then? There's no musnad of this and musnad of that. The response is, all of these blessed compilations later merged into the famous Ahadith collections that we all are now so familiar with. Thus, they were not lost as some ignoramuses believe. So think about it. Where are they? you find it in Bukhari Sharif. You'll find it in Muslim. And it's just common sense if you think about it. They've merged into the famous collections. So none of these reports have been lost. But that also proves they were penning down the hadith of Rasulullah. In fact, some of the companions, they asked, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As once somebody said to him, he goes, you shouldn't write down what the Prophet says. He goes, why? He goes, he gets angry sometimes. He goes, he might not mean what he's saying. He goes, you're writing down. He goes, you're going to misguide people. So he got confused. He approached the Prophet And the Prophet said, write nothing but the truth leaves these lips. This is in Abu Dawud Sahih. Now this shows he's not like us. Because when we get angry, we don't mean what we say. Rasulullah, nothing but truth came out. Whether he's angry, whether he's happy, whether he's excited, he can only speak the truth. That's the sign that he's unique. A prophet is unique. But logically, the person who gave him the advice was giving him you know, rational advice, but it wasn't true. So he wrote everything. And where's his collection? It's merged. In fact, you get a very famous chain. 
he goes, so-and-so heard it from his father who heard it from his grandfather. Amr ibn Shuhayb. Shuhayb is mentioned in the chain. These are the children of Abdullah ibn Amr. His grandson relates from his father who relates from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. Many of those reports are found in the summits. So it's merged into the collections. None of the hadith have been lost. So note again, Allah Ta'ala promised to preserve the Qur'an. And of course, by doing that, it necessitated the hadith be preserved of the Prophet With regards to Fatawa, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he warned, the one who gives a fatwa to the people about everything, he is asked, he is insane. The one who gives a fatwa, religious verdict to the people about everything he has asked about, indeed he is insane. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar in his Jami Bayan al Ilm 2-164, Hafiz al Khatib in his Al Faqi 2-197, Hafiz Abu Khaytam Rahmatullah in his Al Ilm number 10 with his Sahih chain of transmission. So think about that. You don't want to mention names, but they've even got their own programs. Ask so and so. They encourage you to ask. And not once have I heard that Sheikh ever say to a question, I don't know. So what impression are you getting? So people say, MashaAllah, look at this Sheikh. He answers everything. So our response to that is, he's mad. Then the person starts scratching his head, he goes, but he's answering everything. He's not going to ask me why I've said he's mad. Because Ibn Mas'ud said, report, the one who gives a fatwa to people about everything he has asked, he is majnu. He's mad. How many mad people are there now? You ask him, what's the ruling on this? He I'll give you all four schools. And he goes, I'm going to ask you for the Hanifi fiqh. I didn't ask you for Maliki, Shafi, Ambali fiqh. And he goes, I'll also give you Ali Hadith ruling as well. Another bad person. Where are the people like Imam Malik? Somebody came all the way from Andalusi. Took him months to get to Al-Madinah. And he came to the honorable Imam. And he says, the people of Andalusi have got 40 questions. And they've asked me, to come all the way so you can answer these questions. So Imam Malik goes, what are the questions? So he went through the 40 and I think he answered 13 or maybe 17, less than half. So the man then asked the Imam, he goes, you've only answered a few of the questions, O Honorable Imam. He goes, what shall I say to the people? He goes, tell them Imam Malik doesn't know. Hmm. Now think about that. If somebody comes all the way from Australia now, and he comes to you and he goes, I've come all this way, brother. Somebody goes, you've got knowledge of something. And, you know, look how much you're going to be tempted to answer. He thinking, I've got to say something. He's come all that way. Even if I don't know, I'm going to tell him something. He's wasting his plane ticket. <laughs> right? Astaghfirullah. So he comes and he goes, look, you, what is he? What's the answer? And then you go, ya Allah, in your heart, ya Allah, he's come all this way. I'm going to have to say something. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. You're mad. Ibn Masood goes, you're mad. Another person came to Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahuma. He goes, oh son of Umar, uh, what's the answer to this? He have got a clue. He goes, go on ask somebody who knows. Another person comes, he goes, oh son of Umar, uh, he goes, I haven't got a clue, go on ask somebody who knows. And then after they leave, Abdullah ibn Umar, he kisses his hands and his eyes. He goes, subhanallah. He goes, they came to the son of Umar and he goes, I don't know, subhanallah. So the people then, some of his family members, why are you so happy? He goes, don't you see what these people are trying to do? They're trying to make us 
bridges. They will cross over and we will collapse into the fire. Because I will never be a bridge to the fire. <laughs> so what were they thinking? Because if I give a fatwa, they're off the hook. I'm not off the hook. At the moment, they've asked me, they're on the hook. You stay on the hook. I'm not answering. <laughs> no, I don't know, brother. I don't know Quran, what Quran says, but my heart tells me, Baskar, I don't want to know what your heart says. As if your heart's like pure as well, as if the way you're saying it, you're the purified one. So note again, how many mad people, and this is Ibn Masood, the one who could give fatwa, is how many mad people are there? I'll give you every answer. I can't say I don't know. And in fact, there's a report which mentions that one half of or one third of knowledge is to say, I don't know. Imagine half of knowledge. Somebody imagine you go to a sheikh and he goes, Brother, I can give you half of knowledge from the first lesson. What's that sheikh? Learn how to say, I don't know. Mm. But it's a ill. Imagine, you know, people start laughing. Oh, I thought you had knowledge. You can't answer anything. They're just laughing. At it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know anything. Don't come back to me. Mm. So all I mentioned today was again, the great taqwa and humility of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and whatever angle you look at you notice he was trained by the best and of course his iman was shining through to one and all are there any questions you gotta ask Subhanallah bihamdihi subhanallahumma bihamdika ashtu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaihi bismillahirrahmanirrahim